You're listening to the Faith City Outreach with your host, Marina Maria, who is also the founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. Marina wants you to remember Matthew 6:33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Now here's your host, Marina Maria. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Leslie Nafis, who is a number one international best-selling author, a professional direct response copywriter, and the founder of the 6811 Women's Collective, a group dedicated to the activation and mentoring of one million women into entrepreneurship and financial freedom. Today, Leslie will be sharing her powerful and inspirational testimony. Thank you, Leslie, for being on Faith City Outreach to share how God has healed your past wounds of abandonment and how God is using you today to help and heal other women too. Psalm 2710, although my father and my mother have forsaken me, yet the Lord will take me up. I love that psalm. Marina. It is the theme of my life. And I have seen the Lord do that over and over again throughout my life, especially in my early life, as I began to heal from my early life. (laughs) I am so excited and just curious to know your testimony, Leslie. Please share your testimony. Okay. It's going to impact so many people. I mean, it just gets better and better as you tell it. (laughs) I love that. That's good. It gets better and better as I live it out. As more gets added to my testimony, the further I live down the path, the more gets added to my testimony and the more I get to share the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. And that's how it should be. That's what the test, our testimonies are supposed to be. Not only to share the goodness of God, to glorify him and what he's done in our lives and what he will do to other people's lives too, how he will change them, transform them. Yes. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for anyone. 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 And you know, as you say anyone, for some reason, I hear these echoes in my mind where people are saying, it could even be listeners are saying, you know, not me. I've committed this crime. No, not me. I committed, I, uh, uh, committed adultery. No, not me. I lied or cheated or stole a lot of money. No, not me. I was, I used to uh, pray to other gods. No, not me. For some reason, you know, they have a reason. No, not me. What would you say to the no, not me's, Leslie? I would say yes, you specifically. God's heart is for all people. Mm -hmm. All have sinned and fallen short, are in need of the glory of God in their lives. And there is no sin that is so big that one drop of the blood of Jesus can't totally change your whole life and its outcome. Your story doesn't have to stay the same and the meaning of it doesn't have to stay the same. Jesus wants you regardless of where you are, where you have been, and he's got 
a road for you that will blow your mind. Amen. In the best possible way. (laughs) Amen. And then there's this other um, voice that I hear, and it's not for me. It's, I know the Holy Spirit wants us to be answered. What about the people who say, well, I was not, I was born in poverty. I was born without a, a mother or a father. I was sexually molested. I was um, not, I didn't grow up with parents who were Christians or a parent who was a pastor. I didn't grow up with, um, you know, something there. Again, you, they fill in the blank. What would you say? You are wanted. God wants you as part of his family. And it doesn't matter the circumstances of your natural birth. You can be born again and come into his family. He wants to adopt you and give you his name. So it doesn't matter who your mother or you, your father are or are not. Mm-hmm. God wants you. He has already signed all the adoption papers necessary. You just have to say, I want you to. Amen. And that's where your testimony begins, Leslie. He wanted you and you said, I want you in my life. Can you share that? Sure. So I'm just going to start reading. Absolutely. Document, And we're going to go from there if that's okay. Sure. So we hear a ton about fatherlessness, about the father wound, about how a lack of father hurts the family and the culture. And we see it actually all over the world. It is like a plague fatherlessness is and we see its effects and it's seen and felt in almost every culture on the planet and especially in the last several generations the thing we don't hear about as much is the mother wound that absence of a mother or a mother figure and how it affects those who grow up without a mother I'm the youngest of six children, and we all have the same biological parents, although I am much younger than my nearest sibling. I'm seven years younger than my nearest sibling. My oldest brother was 17 years older than me and out of the house by the time I remember, you know, have childhood memories. When I was seven, my mother left me on an acquaintance's front porch and walked away from my family and me. And she did not return until many, many decades later. So she just left you and did she say anything to you, Leslie? No. Did she say, I'll be back, but then she she didn't return? She just said, stay here. Mm -hmm. And I did. There were no phone calls, no birthday cards, no graduation celebrations, no mother of the bride, no happy calls to tell her she's a grand, no mother to get advice from, be friends with, fight with, no mother to teach me how to dress or wear makeup, no mother to comfort me when the girls were mean in junior high, no mother to call when my kids were acting up and I was at wit's end. There was no mom to chat with. There was just no mother. In other words, what I've suffered with the most is a mother wound. Did you ever look in the mirror and ask yourself about, you know, do I look like my mother? Because you were seven when she left you. 
Did you ever look in the mirror and say, I wonder if I look like my mother? I wonder if my mother misses me. I wonder if my, what my mother is doing. Did you ever wonder those things? I didn't have to wonder if I looked like my mother. Of all of my siblings, I look the most like her. And they made sure that I knew it. <laughs> okay. Just, you look just like our mother. <laughs> Okay. And you know, honestly, when I would look in the mirror, it made me think, what was wrong with me? Mm. I looked just like her. Why would she leave me? Mm. Right? So yeah, there were questions. I mostly questioned when something happens to you that young, mm-hmm. there's trauma involved. So your memories often become fractured and sporadic and it's normal and it's okay. And you can get most of them back. Um, and deal with them in a healthy way, um, deliberately with attention later on in life. But I don't remember ever consciously until I was a little bit older, maybe a teenager really wondering what, what, why would she do that? What, what was so gross about me that she just left? What I, what I didn't know then when I was seven that what she did leave me and her family when she did when I was seven, literally tore my understanding of what a woman is. We form those understandings between birth or let, let's be honest, conception and seven, mm-hmm. maybe eight. But by the time we're seven or eight, our main perception of the world our place in it and our personality, the building blocks are set. That's who we're going to become. If something traumatic happens at that age, that gets all messed up. And it just is in a jumble. So in a, in a sense, not having a dad present or otherwise is almost commonplace or normal because you hear about it so much, but not having a mom is really different. How different? What do you mean by different? You hear about it less. That's true. You hear about not having a mom less than you hear Mm -hmm. about not having a dad. Mm -hmm. And those who grow up without moms are treated really differently than those who grow up without dads. Like you're weird, right? Like you're Mm -hmm. like, you don't already feel weird enough growing Mm -hmm. up without a mom. Mm -hmm. People treat you differently that, you know, and there's not the rush in culture to fix that. It's mm-hmm. not as seen as a perceived need. Um, what you don't hear from researchers, therapists, or counselors is that when you lose your mother, you usually lose your father too. That's a whole other complicated story, but that was also true in my life. So you less, you also lost your father. In an emotional sense, yes. Um, I also lost my siblings. I, like I said, I come from a large family and it's large. And uh, both my immediate family was large, but my extended family was also large. When my mother left, my siblings were old enough and they all scattered to the four winds. And the gatherings, my, my extended family, we would all get together all the time. And that stopped too, um, because another woman came in mm. to that place. 
And I, I could honestly say that I woke up one day in one family and the next day I woke up in an entirely different family and I didn't know who I was anymore. Your family, especially when you're a child anchors you, it anchors your place in the world. And I didn't know where I fit. And I became untethered in, in my soul and I was lost. And my concept of what a woman should be was altered forever. So it confused you more. It did. Um, and, and then to have another woman come in and people start talking about her like she was my mother was really weird. And, you know, it just is weird. And so what did you call her? Did you call her mother or did you call her by her name? I was strongly encouraged to call her mom. Mm. She didn't want anybody to know that she was my stepmother. She wanted, and, and I don't mean that because she loved me. She did not. She was like a step monster, not a mm. stepmother. Um, and her, she had a son who was older than me and he sexually abused me and physically abused me. And that was just, you know, was okay. she aware of that? Um, I believe she was. But I think that she was so busy trying to secure what she considered her fortunes that she didn't care who was hurt in it. Um, and of course, I am speculating from a child's perspective, but I did meet her again later in life. And that was what she was doing at that mm -hmm. time. So, you know. Um, and what did your dad say? Nothing. He just called. He just tried to bring her in seamlessly like you know, this is your mother. But what did he say about the sexual molestation? I don't think he let himself know. Was he I, in denial? I, 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 yeah, I think he was because I think mm -hmm. that he wanted to pretend that he hadn't made the mistakes that he had because this woman was the reason my mother left. He was having an affair with her. Mm. So... So that even confused you more. It just made you feel a lot more um, lost, maybe. Mm -hmm. So I began to play their elaborate game. I put on a, a false identity and became this person. Um, my real person was tucked away and didn't see the light of day for a long time. And every once in a while, I still find a piece of that fake identity where I'm being fake. You know what I mean? Where I'm pretending to live out of something that's not real. And the Lord is very faithful to show me that. And that fact that my real self is okay. Mm -hmm. And my real self, even though she was very hurt, I don't, I don't have to fake that anymore. Um, Do you think you faked it because just out of pure survival? Totally. Uh, you know, my siblings had left. Um, so there was, it, it was just me. And my dad was now married to this stranger and brought this strange kid into my house. And we had to pretend, I had to pretend to be a happy family to survive. There was nowhere to go. I mean, my greatest escapes were probably at my grandmother's house. And she was a very um, taciturn German woman. If she smiled once in my whole life, and that's her story, right? It wasn't out of dislike for me. It was just how she had been raised. Mm -hmm. So, At what point did you uh, accept Christ into your life? And who was it that introduced you to Christ? 
Well, the one good thing about my whole life is that we always went to church. I always heard about Jesus. I always heard about how to get saved. I always heard what it meant. Uh, I didn't always understand it, right? Because I was a child, mm-hmm. but I always went to Sunday school and my parents, my stepdad, or my stepmom and my dad were still fairly regular church attenders, even though it didn't have a ton of impact on us beyond Sunday that was planted in my heart. The Lord made sure that I had that in my life. So I became a Christian. I drew that line and I stepped across it and said, I belong to you when I was 15. And um, life didn't get immediately better, right? It wasn't like the angels sang. And the rainbows popped out and the smell of cotton candy filled the air was very, very much not like that. Um, I still had, you know, when you're, when you're small and seven is still pretty small, something traumatic happens to you and it doesn't matter what it is. um, And you don't have the support system to help you recover from that. You are in a prime position for Satan to begin to lie to you. And he takes no prisoners. He doesn't care that you're a kid. And he has no compunction about kicking you when you're down just because you're a child. In fact, he preys upon children who are vulnerable and who don't have people in their lives. Mm -hmm. So what happens is um, these lies entered into my life. I had logical questions. Um, how did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And maybe why isn't the best question, but it was a pretty logical question for a a child's psyche, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And since there was no one to answer me, Satan took that prime opportunity and he, he told me lies. No one actually said them. I inferred most of the answers from the actions of the people around me. And I ended up Uh, really caught in believing lies about myself, that I was unloved and unlovable. I was somehow defective because if your mother doesn't love you, it's not likely that anybody is going to love you, right? Um, That I was worthless. If your mother can discard you like Thursday's trash on someone's front porch, you're not worth very much. And that somehow I deserved everything that came after her leaving. Somehow all of it was my fault. the emotional and physical abuse from my stepmother and my stepfather. I mean, my, my dad literally beat me out of my mind a few times at her behest saying, you do this. Um, my sec, my brother, stepbrother sexually abusing me. Um, just that I somehow caused all of this because I just was, and how I was, wasn't good enough. I began to believe that my value came from letting others hurt me, abuse me, or strip me of my dignity. My purpose in life was to be abandoned and abused and to owe those who offered me any shred of kindness. And I felt like I had to prove that I was worthy of any love shown to me. I had to be smarter, funnier, better in school, work harder to deserve the slightest amount of affection. I had to work to be tolerated and allowed to exist, much less be loved. I had to earn my right to be in the world. 
And I believe that my mother leaving and my family collapsing was my fault. That it somehow had to do with me as a child. And that, you know, honestly, the, one of the really big ones was that I was an accident of birth and God did not love me. That God's plan for me was cruel and to suffer pain and humiliation and heartbreak and that he would only bring more if I ever overcame the pain in my life and that he didn't care about me because who would do that to someone that you cared about, right? <clears throat> and I have to be honest, when I talk about that, those lies, it, it's hard because I remember how I felt when I lived under those lies and I don't live under them anymore. That pain was searing agony and I lived in it every single day. And I don't know how I survived that part of my life. I was angry and afraid all the time. And by the time I got to the point where my mentor got a hold of me, the only thing I ever felt was anger and fear, period. Any other emotion that might have cropped up got shoved into either anger or fear. And ultimately, even the fear started getting pushed over into anger. I was just angry all the time. So here's what happened. Jesus healed me. At what point in your life did you stop believing the lies? Well, that was something that has been progressive. Okay. I <clears throat> intentionally began going through what we call inner healing. It's also called healing prayer, prayer counseling, um, mm -hmm. prayer ministry mm -hmm. for em emotional and spiritual wounds. In my late 20s, um, and I'm sure it wasn't easy for God, <laughs> King of the universe, though he may be, because <laughs> uh, it wasn't easy for me. Uh, mm -hmm. It was, and I certainly know that it was a huge challenge for my mentor. I was a very wounded, angry puppy, and there was no softness left on the outside of me. I was just all sharp, porcupine, in, you know, fright mode all the time. Hug that porcupine. <laughs> um, but actually my healing first began when I decided um, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, born again, otherwise known as a Christian. Um, I believed in my heart and confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead. And I made that choice. Um, there was, there's a lot there, but it, at 15, when I began reading my Bible, I began seeing that what I knew, what I had been taught, even what I was being taught in the church that I belonged to, wasn't what I was living. What wasn't was what it wasn't in there, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't in the Bible. That was not what I was living so I began to see that there was a different way, Jesus's way. And then when I was in my 20s and I was in an abusive first marriage to a Christian man, I use that term loosely. <laughs> uh, my mentor, 
who I've actually known since I was about 14, but I was in my twenties, maybe mid to late twenties. She contacted me and started talking to me about inner healing because she had gone through inner healing and it had changed her life. And for some reason, the Holy spirit told her, get her. And so she spent about 20 years relentlessly pursuing my heart. Wow. Everything that she knew over and over and over again, she was incredibly patient and, and ferociously or, or fiercely relentless. Is she still alive today? She is still alive today. I talk to her every day, almost. Um, What an amazing woman. She is an amazing woman. Her name is Donna Bianchi, and she has a website, um, giftministries.org, I believe. And if that's wrong, we'll fix it in the show notes. But they, she and her husband still live on Maui, where I used to live as well. And <laughs> they still do inner healing on people. And they have pretty much single-handedly changed the spiritual landscape on that island. Wow. So how did you meet her? She was actually my teacher in the Christian school that I went to, to the last two years of high school. Oh, wow. Her husband, she was a principal and her husband was the teacher. And she just kept in touch with you. And then she just kept in touch with me and and then contacted you. mm -hmm. And so, um, She operated in her gifts of um, the apostolic and mm-hmm. prophetic, and she used pastoral counseling, otherwise known as inner healing, to bring God's heart of love to my broken and crushed emotions and thoughts. Um, we spent a lot of time bringing the found- those foundational lies that I talked about mm-hmm. out into the open the wrong judgments that I had formed uh, against my parents um, that brought out psychological expectancies where I began drawing that behavior out of everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, inner determinations and inner vows that I had made that kept me on a track of despair and destruction, soul ties that I had formed with people through unforgiveness and bitterness. And we began tearing down those walls that I had built very high um, to keep myself safe and to try and keep the pain out. And I will tell you, building walls and hardening your heart doesn't work. The thing that you try and make do to keep pain out only keeps you locked in Mm -hmm. because God is a gentleman and he respects you. And he will not come inside your side of the wall unless you invite him. But you know who hates your guts and doesn't respect your boundaries is Satan. So when you build walls and you harden your heart, you know who's left? You, Satan, and your pain tussled up behind that wall until you invite Jesus in to your side of the wall. Was it easy for you to forgive your parents? Well, now that I understand forgiveness better, yes. Forgiveness is an act of your will. It isn't something that you have to feel Mm -hmm. to engage with. But a lot of times for those of us who have been damaged by things in our life, our feelings don't line up with the act of our will, right? 
So it was very difficult for me to overcome the feelings of unforgiveness, even though I had multiple times by an act of my will chosen to forgive them. Later on, I realized um, I could have learned to ask God for a simple favor of um, to accomplish his forgiveness in my heart so that it, my feelings lined up with his will. So in, in effect, yes, it was easy to forgive because you choose to do it, but it was hard to bring my emotions into line with that act, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, it seems like a lot of women go through that um, because, or even just people, it could be men and women, where they will say, well, I don't feel like forgiving them right now. Right. So your what would you say to that? I would say that your feelings are justified. They're real, mm -hmm. but they're not leading you into truth. Uh, so, and you you don't have to have your feelings line up to accomplish something. You can, by an act of your will, choose to forgive and ask the Lord, because he's the only one who transforms lives, mm -hmm. to accomplish his forgiveness in your heart and keep asking him that and saying, I have chosen to forgive and I have forgiven this person, but I need you to accomplish that forgiveness in my heart so that my feelings line up with the act of my will. One of the blockages that we have as women and maybe as men, not being one, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> is that, um, boy, that just slipped right out of my head. Um, that, oh, 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 here's what it was. Uh, the blockage. Yeah, that we feel like we're afraid that we're going to have to get too close to the person who hurt us, or we're going to have to have a lot of mushy love feelings toward them to know that forgiveness is accomplished. And that is not true because forgiveness does not imply relationship. Right. It does not <clears throat> imply reconciliation. Those are very different things from forgiveness. That just, forgiveness just means you haven't burned the bridge. doesn't mm -hmm. mean you've let them across. And um, when I was facilitating, I used to live in Alaska as well. And when I was helping facilitate sexual abuse recovery groups, we studied Dan Allender a lot. And he said something that made me able to accomplish forgiveness far more quickly. I used to believe Forgive and forget. You should never forget what was done to you. One, because if you forgive someone and you forget what you, they've done, you're going to be open to that abuse again. And that is not God's will for you. Right. And can you actually forget? I don't think you can. We're not wired that way on mm. purpose so that we can set good boundaries and enforce them. Because you know wh whose job it is to set boundaries and enforce mm. them? Ours. Mm-hmm. We set the boundaries of our life. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit should inspire us what those are. Mm -hmm. Line up with scripture, right? Exactly. So, so that's number one. But relationship is not implied with forgiveness. If that person hasn't repented, which means turn from sin to God, what is right, and have not expressed remorse and have not done restitution to you, in some capacity to the best of their ability, there is not reconciliation is not possible and you are not obligated to be in relationship with them. In fact, just the opposite. So that's one of the things that kept me because the old Christian teaching, the old religious teaching is that 
Forgiveness means you throw open the gates, you let them in, everything's good. And the guy's still a pedophile. Right. Go back to the same relationship that you had before. No. And that's that, what I think they think about too. Yeah. Right. Just you've got to let go and let God mm-hmm. go. So if you're having trouble forgiving, ask yourself, is it because I'm afraid that I'm going to have to enter into a relationship with them? Mm-hmm. And if it is, no, but that is not the case. Relationship reconciliation is not possible without repentance, restitution, change, and apology, and evidence that all of that is happening. So if you find your emotions not lining up, one, ask the Lord to accomplish his forgiveness in your heart, mm-hmm. and two, don't be worried that you have to have the relationship that they want. Mm-hmm. You have as much relationship as you feel safe. And if that's none, that's none. But at least you have forgiven them. Yes. You have, you have now mm-hmm. set God, yourself free. Set yourself free and put God's <laughs> justice to work on your behalf. You no longer have to carry the weight of carrying that sentence out. Exactly. Now, there's another part of forgiveness that I learned from a friend, and that was forgiving ourselves, too. Yes. Part of inner healing, and I'm going to use that as the shortest expression of pastoral counseling, prayer ministry. We're going to call that inner healing. Mm -hmm. That's a bad rap, but do I really care? No, because it works. (laughs) (laughs) But let's, let's clarify. This inner healing is done by God. Right. Okay. Usually with someone and it's done deliberately and it helps you see the biblical basis for healing, Mm -hmm. how you, God has provided for you to get rid of these um, structures that you've created in your inner being Mm -hmm. that are, they may have been effective at the time, but they're not God's way of living or protecting yourself. There's a higher and better and more whole way of living. And those ways keep you captive and bound and give Satan access to your life because they're really his ways. And I'm not saying that we're all chasing Satan. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. in ignorance, we adopt common things that are really detrimental to us. What are some examples of of those? So in the 10 commandments, I believe that's the fifth one. It says, honor your father and mother, that it will go well with you in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you. The land God is giving you is your life right now. If you dishonor your parents by making a judgment against them in childhood, maybe not a conscious judgment, but something comes up and it's one thing to say actions are not right, but it's an entirely different thing to judge your parents as bad people for what they did, right? Mm-hmm. If you have to honor them. When you make that judgment, you put God's universal law of sowing and reaping into effect against you because his commandment is the same. Honor your father and mother that it will go well with you in the land. Judgment is dishonor. Now, we're not saying continue to let them abuse you. We're not saying say that they're okay. We're not saying even have relationship of any kind with them. But you need to ask God what, you, what they did was wrong, but your response by making a judgment was also wrong. That's the sinful response. That's not God's response. God's response is to honor them 
and get free from unforgiveness and what they did to you, right? In your own self. Because you're not responsible for them. You can't fix them. You Mm -hmm. can't even change the past. Right. Judgments then put the law of sowing and reaping into effect. And Galatians says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. What will happen is you, and he said, judge not lest you be judged because as you judged, so you will be judged, right? So what ends up happening is this, let's say in my case, my dad was unfaithful to my mother and I say, you're a dirty, rotten, blah, blah, blah in my mind or mm-hmm. in my, in, in my unconscious mind, let's mm-hmm. say, I don't even consciously think that. <clears throat> and then there, I make this leap that all men are unfaithful. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens then is as I judge, so I will be judged. I end up with a negative pattern in my life that I keep repeating over and over and over and over and over again. And you know who I attract? Every man will be unfaithful to me. So you're talking about a stronghold. Totally. That's another great way to put it. Mm -hmm. You create these strongholds by your judgments against primarily against your parents, because that's the commandment, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a total stronghold. And, and some are generational strongholds. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's addiction, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's infidelity, sometimes it's bitterness, sometimes it's all of it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's gambling there. Everything that you can Mm -hmm. imagine can also be generational, right? A religious spirit, you know, idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. Uh, yeah, lying, lying, stealing, stealing, you know, so there are so many things um, that are, but here's the thing. God is faithful and he wants his people free because he loves us so much. He's got a remedy. So you forgave who can give the remedy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. true. You forgive. To forgive myself and I had right. to I had to ask God, I had to ask God to forgive me for my wrong response, ask him to show me what his right response is, forgive myself for making that wrong choice, even though it was done in ignorance, you know, sometimes you make a left turn on a no left turn in ignorance and you end up in a wreck. It just happens. It's nobody's (laughs) fault other than you made a wrong choice out of total ignorance. So there's that. So you have to forgive yourself. And then all of the mistakes that you make out of reacting to all that junk inside you, living your life out of sync with God's timeline for you, God's love for you, all the things that you do out of that, you got to forgive yourself for that too, right? Absolutely. There's nothing he can't remake and recycle and redeem. Nothing. Nothing. Amen. Leslie, was it easier to forgive them than to forgive yourself? Or was it harder? I think that truly understanding how deeply I needed to forgive myself for what I perceived as my moral failures was harder because it's sneakier. When when you're outside the bottle, it's easier to read the label, right? So it's easy to forgive someone who's maybe outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. When you're inside the bottle, how can you read the label, right? You don't know what you don't know. And you're so used to your interior culture. You have these places that are kind of sneaky and hidden and you don't realize 
So yeah, in one way, forgiving them and knowing they needed to be forgiven was way more obvious, but knowing that I needed to and could forgive myself was less, right? We all operate in a measure of self-deception, either denial or addiction, let's say, you know, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Pretty much they both fall, you know, they fall into those two broad categories and there's a lot of variables in between. But when you're dealing with self-forgiveness, you may be in such denial that you don't feel it. You don't, Mm -hmm. you don't realize you're operating out of shame. You could be blinded by it, right? Be blinded by shame. By shame. So the difference between guilt and shame, they're not the same. Guilt is you've done something wrong, you know it's wrong, and you know you need to not do it anymore. Natural, natural consequences. You touch that hot stove, don't want to do that again. Shame is false guilt put on you by other people when you don't deserve it. It is guilt, but it's false guilt, and it's put on you by other people when you don't deserve it. And it serves only one purpose, to keep you locked up and quiet on the inside, silently screaming for relief. Thank you for sharing that. Leslie, did the Lord put it in your heart to ask your parents for forgiveness? Or did you just do this alone? Because I know sometimes the Lord asks us to go to the person. And I know sometimes he doesn't. But what was it like for you? I went through this process with my mentor primarily. So I was okay. alone. Mm-hmm. And we worked through almost all of these issues for a very long time together. I went to my parent, my dad, because um, he was the only, my mother wasn't around. Um, <clears throat> and I told him I was able after a long time to express to him what, how, what he had done hurt me. And in a really beautiful moment, he said he was sorry. Wow. And that was not his intention and asked me to forgive him. And I was able to say, I've already forgiven you, but yes, dad, I forgive you. And you could see the weight of the guilt of his actions fall off of him. Now, wow. that restored relationship between us, mm-hmm. not the relationship you dream of having with your dad. Mm. You can't change the past. And you got to love the person for who they are now. And that was a little disappointing because, again, you want the angels to sing, the rainbows to pop out, the cotton candy to smell of cotton candy to fill the air and to have the dad you always wanted. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen with my earthly dad. We did end up with a relationship where we talked every week and we chit chatted and I got to hear stories about his boyhood, painful ones and interesting ones all of it. And so while I didn't have the relationship I always wanted, I got a good taste of being able to be free to have the relationship that was available to me and knowing too, that he couldn't hurt me Hmm. because I'm not that seven-year-old girl. (laughs) I was a woman full grown in my own right. And so um, one thing I learned through the healing, my mentor pursuing my healing is that God loves me extravagantly. 
Mm-hmm. has a tremendous capacity to take all of me on all of my greatness all of <laughs> my imperfections all of my waywardness all of my stubbornness all of my wild joy all of me and he wants me to be authentically me because that's who he made me to be and all of this stuff was the devil trying to tear my life up so much I never became who God called me to be guess what didn't work <laughs> <laughs> Amen. (laughs) I learned that God's plan for me wins out over all the evil the devil meant for me. Mm -hmm. Healing is mine every day. If I need it and want it, it's already given. I only have to take it. Nothing about me or my life is too much for God. Nothing. And I mean, there, when I was talking to my mentor, talking to another human being about things, you know, things that were done to me, things that I had done. There was nothing that was too gory, hairy, or wild, right? Mm-hmm. And even though my mother didn't come back for decades and decades and decades and decades, God put a woman in my life who, even though she wasn't my mother, she taught me what a woman should be like and how to be a godly woman, courageous, fierce, relentless, patient, kind, loyal to God and herself, bringer of God's healing to the whole world. Amen. And today I'm free. Amen. Today I am emotionally and spiritually healthy so much so that people say, oh, your life is wrapped up like a little pretty gift box. And I'm like, you've probably heard me say this before, Marina. No, my life is actually like that bag of garbage along the freeway that's been blown apart (laughs) by a car. That's pretty much what my life would look like. But the past is still there. Nothing about it has changed. Everything that happened still happened. But the meaning of the past has changed. And the sting of it is gone. It took a long time. The initial healing took a long time. I won't lie. But how long? I would say... 15 years. And then deeper healing where I was able to process stuff on my own started after that slowly, but surely. And today my past and its pain no longer determine my future and don't really affect my present. The sting is gone, It happened, but the, it's, it's not like, I mean, occasionally I still come up with something that's like, Oh, but you know what I know? I know that I need, that's just a point of healing that I, that I somehow missed. It's going to be lifelong. And you found your identity in Christ. Jesus, who I am. I'm like, thank you, God. Amen. He is using my past now to bring me into his purposes and callings for my life. He's using my past to bring healing to others. I do inner healing counseling with people and get to see now, and I get to see lives transformed. I have tasted so much success as a direct result of being coming committed to healing, my healing. And it really was a lot of work, um, mostly for my mentor and for God. <laughs> <laughs> But also for me, but every second is worth it. And the Joseph principle is working every day in my life. And the Joseph principle comes from Genesis 50, 20. It says, you intended to harm me, but Mm. God intended it all for good. Mm -hmm. And he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. Amen. And this testimony in itself, while listeners are listening to it now, is saving the lives of Of many. many. Don't give up hope. God loves you. God wants you. 
He's got healing for you. Mercy, mercy, mercy. You ever cry out for mercy? He's got it in full. And (laughs) now I write, I speak, I teach, and I teach people how to heal. Um, My life, if if you could have seen the actual story of my life unfold, I have had a very surprising outcome considering my beginnings. It could have easily, I could have easily ended up in a very different place with a very different ending and not the happy kind. Mm -hmm. And I remind myself of that every day by saying my best days are in front of me. Even still, even still at my age, my best days are in front of me. And I'm going to say this to your listeners and to you, yours are too. And I believe it with all my heart because Jesus can heal you the way he healed me. What would you say, Leslie, to those who are reluctant to go to Jesus and because they're in the same pain that you were in and they are just so confused and lost and hurt and angry and they believe nothing can help them nothing can heal them. Your anger is not too much for the Lord. You can express your full anger. I have even been known to throw rocks at God. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I have gone out in the woods and thrown rocks at God and screamed my absolute rage at him. And his response was to send me someone who could walk me into his love. So there is no anger that is too big, no murderous rage that is so great, no icy lockdown rage that is like hellfire under ice burning inside you that is too much for the Lord. Amen. He already knows it's there. And what's beautiful about the Lord, I mean, there's so many beautiful things about him, but this just gets me that he loves us so much that he doesn't even force us. He doesn't force anybody to go to him. That's how much he he loves us. He's giving us a choice to either go to him or not. But even if you don't go to him, he loves you right there, just waiting. He's waiting for you. How many people can say they have someone waiting and longing Mm -hmm. just to hear their voice, even in anger? Mm -hmm. And God isn't like us. When someone gets mad at you, you get mad at them back, right? You tend, most people, unless you're super intentional, right? you tend to get angry back. God is not angry with you. Right. The Bible doesn't say God was so angry at humanity that he had to kill Jesus to get it out of his system. No. It said God so loved the world that he, that he gave came. his only begotten God's son to fulfill what was wrong because something had to be fulfilled and we were not capable. So he Mm -hmm. said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So that no one should perish. Not a single human, not a Satanist, not a hooker, not a pimp, not a meth dealer, not a meth addict, not a gambling addict, not a murderer, not a housewife, not an adulterer, not a liar, not a bank robber, not an angry woman who just keeps herself locked behind high heels and lipstick, not someone who thinks money is the source of all of their salvation, not someone who doesn't care anymore, not one, not one, not the pedophile, Mm -hmm. 
or the sex trafficker or the porn star. He loves them. In fact, I used to have a pastor that would say, God is crazy about you. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're a woman who has let every man in her life use her, and she's lost count of how many men there have been, to the self-righteous religious prig judging that woman. God loves you. He does. And with that, too, it reminds me, Leslie, that in my life, too, I tried so many things and nothing worked. It temporarily worked, but not permanently worked. And I was at my ends. And I'm like, okay, I didn't never give Jesus a chance until everything I figured out that nothing worked until what was the last thing? Jesus. Mm-hmm. Then that's when I said, okay, let me try Jesus. Why not? What Why I- not? What have I got to lose? Exactly. You've got nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose. I had so much to gain. We have so much to gain. Everyone within the sound of our voices has so much to To gain. gain. Maybe you already know Jesus, but you have fallen away because things have hurt you and you haven't been able to answer why. And I will tell you, it was intended to harm you, but God will intend it for good. Mm-hmm. And he will bring you to a position so that you can save the lives of many others. When Jesus commanded the disciples to go out into the world and preach the gospel, there is a phrase that we gloss over, we skip over it. Teach them everything I taught you. What is Jesus taught about his goodness? That's all you got to start with. (laughs) Just start talking about what he's taught you. And that's what I'm doing. There are a lot of things I don't have figured out in my life. And I'm wondering what in the world, what is that all about? But this thing I know, God loves me. He is wild about me and he can heal me. So that's where I'm starting. I like how you said that you don't have to have everything figured out because some people think, well, my life is not right right now. Later on, I'll just figure it out. I'm not all there yet. Well, we aren't either. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to the process. Exactly. (laughs) We're with you. Right. We're all with you. My life is not tied up to (laughs) looking gift box. Exactly. That garbage bag along the freeway <laughs> that's been blown apart. <laughs> I don't have it all figured out yet. Right. We don't have it figured out. But God does. He's got a plan for all the pieces. Yes. He's got a plan. If you have mental illness, he has a plan to heal you and to use you. You're not beyond reach or hope or love. Right. How he loves us unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Oh, how he loves Loves us. us. And we just go to him. Some people say, well, I'm not ready. Um, I'm just like we, like I mentioned before, I'm not all there. So just go to him as we are. Just go to him as you are. Well, he's ready. He's ready. He's ready. He doesn't care about how, how you look. He doesn't care. He doesn't even care if you're ready. He just wants to talk to you. Yeah. He just wants you to talk to him. He wants it. He just wants you. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty irresistible. Yeah. And once you feel his love. There is nothing, <sighs> nothing, nothing. That compares to him. Sinead O'Connor had it right. <laughs> nothing compares <Pairs> to you. <laughs> yes. And we mean God, not a person, not a man. <laughs> right. Exactly. We mean, we God, mean God, the almighty 
God, the Almighty God. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory and honor, Father God. May our lives glorify you and make you bigger and seen more clearly. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord my God. Leslie, would you close us in prayer, please? Father, I thank you that you love us and that my father and my mother may have abandoned me, but that you took me up and adopted me as mm-hmm. your kid, as your beloved daughter. That's what Psalm 2710 says. And if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who needs that, Holy Spirit, let your presence go and be with them so that they can feel that. Yeah, may they be just such. <clears throat> I bind any suicide ideation right now in the audience that you would flood every person with all spectrums of your light, all spectrums of your sound, every expression of your reality, Father, and that all of us would see everything you want us to see hear everything you want us to hear and experience everything you want us to experience and that we would respond the way you want us to respond. Yes, Father God. May I ask that you would send angels to minister to those, those who need it right now, Father, that they would minister light and love and healing, that you would clear the airspace around every person within the sound of our voices, Lord, so that you can flood in and they can hear and see you. And I ask that everyone would turn to you and know your extravagant love. I ask this in the name of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to Marina Maria, who is the host of Faith City Outreach and the founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. If you're interested in being on Faith City Outreach, please contact Marina Maria at fcoprogram at gmail.com. This music is made as a courtesy from zapsplat.com. Marina wants to thank Four Winds Ministries for partnering with Faith City Outreach.